don't grab low hanging fruit too long. Learn to say no to certain clients that don't appreciate you because they want to take advantage of you and it's just sucks too much out. Instead, focus on moving that price point up to a higher price point and also get used to slowing down. Hello, and welcome to An Unknown Adventure, podcast number 17. I'm your host, Kimberly Ann, and each week I'll either be talking to you or I'll be interviewing someone about one or more of three exciting topics, achieving your dreams, no matter how old, young, or infirm you are, minimalism, and or unconventional travel. Now, as things do, this podcast has morphed. And sometimes I just talk to interesting people, which is the theme of today's show. But before we meet a professional magician, I wanted to give you guys a little update. So I am feeling much better after the second Moderna vaccine had me sick and in excruciating pain for a week. My back has finally healed and I am running again each day. And by running, I mean running slash walking, which my good friend Melissa had encouraged me to try a few months ago. Ideally, you run for 30 seconds and walk for 30 seconds, but I usually run for as long as I can and then walk for as little as I can. I took a new route through my neighborhood today, and it was more scenic than my usual one. Since I'm moving in five or six months, I find myself enjoying my neighborhood and looking at it in a different perspective, more with gratitude and a little nostalgia. My biggest update is that I go back to my full-time day job as a healthcare practitioner next week. I do have some trepidation and anxiety about it. The amount of PPEs that I have to wear, the amount of alcohol I have to spray, and the long 14-hour days. But I'll be happy to see my patients, and I'll be happier knowing that I'm heading toward the closure of this particular career. I don't have any van updates this week, except that I thought I had the water filter filter situation figured out and I've had to scrap it for now and rethink my options. There won't be enough room underneath my sink. I actually don't have a lot of room at all. I'm wondering, will it hold a trash can? We'll find out. So as soon as I figure out the water filter situation, which I've got some good backup plan ideas, I will let you guys know. And now it's time for the interview. So today we're here with Daniel Chan, and Daniel and I went to the same circus school, but not at the same time. Is that right? Yeah, I think I started around 2001 and maybe ended around, I'm not sure when I ended. I was on and off. I was not completely committed to circus. You weren't? No, not not completely. I, I was a little bit more committed to magic. Right. Right. Okay. Which we will talk about. But first, I have to ask you, if you studied with Lu Yi, how could you not be committed to circus? Because he's like the master. Because uh, Lu Yi always, always say, I'm going to have a banana handstand. And he would make me train with Xiao Hong and Sha. And, and this is, uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, I trained at the San Francisco School of Circus Arts. And I also did the Clown Conservatory's nine-month program. So I have, I'm a clown graduate. Whoa, I've never met anyone who did that. How was it? It was interesting. I learned a lot of improv and I learned a lot about vulnerability, which typically when you're a magician or juggler, you're hiding behind the trick. So I learned how valuable silence is. And I think that made me such 
such a great performer, especially for street performing and performing in general. Yeah, I bet. Well, I just have to say that the banana handstand is what we are striving for in contortion class. So you would fit right in in contortion class. They would be like, yay, banana handstand. Now do scorpion handstand. Yeah. So <laughs> I didn't know that until I started contortion. I was like, what? Yeah, I'm doing something right finally. And you know, and you're supposed to lift your head up. And I always lifted my head up in handstand class and they were like, put your head down. But no, in contortion class, we're allowed to, we're, we have to lift our heads up. So, you know, we all fit in somewhere. So talk about the magic and like, how, how did you, did you start doing that at a young age? Is that like a big passion of yours or always was? I started off like in any other child watching magicians on television and maybe once in a while I would see magicians at theme parks. I remember seeing a theme park magician in Florida, I believe, and also uh, theme park magicians at Great America. Didn't really take off until I had to make my living doing it. So I started going to lectures and buying DVDs and traveling to Vegas every year to go to conventions. But once you start realizing, hey, you can make money doing this, you'll take it seriously. I think I was making 200 bucks an hour doing magic, which was not good, but not bad. Wow. That, that's good. I mean, that was a big hustle. Then I noticed that there were other people a lot more successful. Then you start studying people who are successful and reverse engineering the, um, the model. At um, age, really early on, I realized that I wanted to teach my son how to do the same stuff that I was doing. So at age five, he was juggling three balls. By age eight, he was juggling five balls. And then by age 10, he was doing flaming torches and picking pockets. By 12, he already had two national television appearances. Uh, one was with Access Daily with Penn and & Teller. And then the other one was with uh, Tiffany Haddish on Kids Say the Darndest Things. Wow, that's impressive. And does he love it? Or was he just doing it because it was something to do? He started loving it right around age six or a lot more. We didn't fight because we would fight like daily because he wouldn't get the vision but i took him out to street perform on union square i just said do your five or ten minutes and then we can go he ended up making 120 dollars in about two hours wow and then i said this is why i've kind of forced you to do this now do you see the vision and now you can have a place to practice and I call, it, I call it paid practice because normally when we're at circus school, you go out there and you do your thing and you're paying to be there. But if you go street perform, people pay you and you can practice at the same time. Mm, that's true. Wow. And is that where you uh, were street performing in San Francisco? I didn't do a lot of street performing. I, I tried at Fisherman's Wharf maybe for less than a month. I'd go on and off and I just knew that you can deal with hecklers and you can learn a lot from the streets on being able to hold a crowd that has the freedom to leave or come up, come or leave as they wish. Right. Yeah. I, I find it. I used to sell, I used to be a mask maker in another lifetime and I used to sell my masks on the streets of San Francisco and it was really hard. It was a hard hustle. Yeah, it is. And I, I would be like, I would spend like 50 or 60 hours making one mask and try to sell it for $30 and they'd talk me down to 10. Wow. Yeah, it was brutal. <laughs> and it's interesting. Sometimes you have to go to where you're, you're worth something. Some people don't realize that you're worth that. So 
I would tell people, this is what it takes. And this is how many hours, or I'd say I have a hundred thousand dollars worth uh, invested in books and DVDs. So then they put it in a different perspective or when they started hiring my son, they'd be like, oh, he's expensive. But I'd say, well, his magic lessons are up to a hundred dollars an hour. And those are expensive too. So then it reframes everything. Right. It lets them know, oh, it's 50 hours of work. But I think it's really important as entrepreneurs to understand where we're at, but understand our client and not every client is the right fit. Right. That's true. And so is your son still performing? Yeah. I mean, not now necessarily with COVID, but. Oh yeah. We have done a lot during COVID and that's part of the reason why I'm jumping on so many podcasts is I am doing Zoom shows and I had done 270 online Zoom shows, mainly for corporations, but we're probably going to do some publicly ticketed shows and you can find them on Airbnb experiences. Oh, cool. Oh, that's smart. So Airbnb is having Zoom experiences now. Yes. Wow. I didn't even think of looking. That's great. Okay. So was being a magician, your like a dream the dream was to be a lifeguard, but my mom said no. And the magic was kind of like one of my fallbacks. But I worked at PayPal pre-IPO with this guy named Elon Musk. Wow. The company was so small. I think there was like less than 300 employees when I joined them. I stayed for one year, actually 13 months. And then I gave up the rest of my stock options to do what I loved, which was magic. Wow. And do you regret that? In some ways, yes. But I hated the office. I literally regretted it. I would sneak off to play ping pong and play video games and raid the uh, vending machines. Cause at the vending machines, you could just press these buttons and the stuff would come out and they didn't charge you for the food. Oh, wow. Back in the early two thousands, it was all about the free food. I remember they would feed us lunch every day. Sometimes they would have even dinner. Wow. Nice. And was Elon Musk like a big deal back then? He was like, I think, I think he was CEO with Peter Thiel because X.com and Confinity merged together. And I think my stock option certificate was actually said Confinity, but he he was Elon and I would see him in the offices, but I didn't know he was going to get that big. Otherwise I would have shown him a lot more magic and (laughs) and kept in touch and like pinged him and said, said hi on his way up. But by then the magazines like talking about the PayPal mafia had already come out and that gravy train had already left. Oh, that's funny. And that is a, a good thing is what to make small investments and you, you'll, you'll see these things grow, especially uh, companies that you believe in. Oh, yeah, exactly. I bought one share of stock in every single company that has hired me or pretty much since, uh, for a while. And I've gotten a portfolio from A to Z. I've had from Airbnb uh, grant me stocks on their IPO uh, recently that was covered in the news all the way up to Zillow and Zoomingo. Those are companies that have hired me. Not all of them are public companies, but it's really interesting once as entrepreneur, it's an interesting thing for you to buy shares of stock in companies that hire you. Oh yeah. Yeah. And companies, I only, I only buy stocks in companies that I believe in, or I believe in their mission. It's helped my survival. So we were going to talk a little bit about like successes and failures. and, And that was really interesting to me. Like what, what are the failures that brought you to the successes and what's your philosophy behind it? Chaining everything. You know what a Rube Goldberg machine is? No. Uh, so it's if you Google Rube Goldberg machine, it's like when a uh, marble hits something and it goes down and it causes this chain reaction. And you see, you see them in a museum sometimes, but it's just a very beautiful, elaborate chain reaction. I think of your success as that. So 
making them all kind of knock each other over. Sometimes if you don't have enough momentum, you're not going to knock them all over. For example, I was thinking I'm going to do these shows that are going to be sold out publicly. Most of the times they're not sold out, but I realized I wasn't a Netflix star. So I said, I'm going to get a documentary and then I'm going to pitch it to Netflix. And then I'm going to go backwards and reverse engineer success. So I also had a dinner show and I was like not really selling a lot because I wasn't doing a lot that was different. And I was selling on Groupon and Groupon was cheapening my brand. They take off 50%, then you have to give them 50%. So whatever's retail, you're really making 25% of retail. But those were learning experiences and that helps you get market share. But I wasn't losing money because a lot of these larger companies can afford to lose lots of money. And they have this, what we call a, a burn rate. They'll burn money until like five or seven years while they're building their quote house. So it's important to know when you hit that inflection point and whether that inflection point is realistic. Because a lot of times when you start a business, you realize that there's too much weight holding you down and that airplane can't take off. For me, I was very fortunate because I lived at home until I was maybe like 28 years old, which is not really ideal. But with Asian parents, it was actually nice because I could, I'd have, I live in my basement and they lived upstairs. So I had my own space, but it allowed me to go to Las Vegas and it allowed me to go to many places, which really transformed my career. Wow. Yeah. Just on the Groupon thing. I also, I'm an acupuncturist. I'm in my last several months of being an acupuncturist and I did an acupuncture Groupon. I think I was the first or second acupuncturist to do a Groupon and it was a nightmare from hell. You know, it just ended up, I lost so much money because, you know, it basically was giving away free treatments. Yeah. And with that, it is kind of like market share, but do you have a transition point or do you have an inflection point where you can start making it viable because people get dependent on Groupon and Groupon sales staff, it was a love hate relationship. <laughs> As you know, it was like pulling teeth because I, I, I think they could have made it work for certain vendors. I think they could have slowly, like the first month, moved up the pricing structure. It, it just didn't work long-term and they needed to kind of slowly pivot to give people more and more percentage points, I think, which would have been helpful for the survival because it wouldn't be as difficult, I think. Yeah. Well, and I think that there's like a specific, you know, I don't want to say type of person, but like, you know, coupon cutters or, you know, people always looking for deals. And so I found like a lot of people that were coming to me were not necessarily, you know, low income or, you know, they couldn't not afford me. They just liked a deal. <laughs> and, and just one, you know, they didn't have to come back. They just wanted the one deal. So yeah. And that's kind of irritating when you see that person who can clearly afford you, but they, they're just like a deal hunter. You're like, you told me you're on your budget and you're driving a Porsche and I see a Mercedes out front and, and very likely they're all paid off or something. Then you're just thinking this is not fair. And maybe what are they doing that I need to be doing differently, which is kind of saying no sometimes. Yeah. And I, I remember one time I had a teacher that was like, you shouldn't judge people because I had a community clinic. And she was like, don't judge people by the cars that they drive, even though that's hard not to do because you don't know their circumstances. She goes, so let's say that they are driving a really nice car, but they're leasing it. And, you know, their parents are suffering in the hospital with cancer and all their money's going to that. And, and I totally get that and it's valid, but from my experience, that's not what I saw. I saw people that totally either were playing the system and still are, or, you know, could afford it and 
chose to spend their money like, you know, at Good Earth. That's our our market where one bag of groceries is two hundred dollars. I, I, I thought it was called a whole paycheck. Yeah, that's well, that's Whole Foods, but we have Good Earth. It's even more expensive because everything's organic. They don't carry anything that's not organic there. Oh, wow. And it's a great market, but it's really expensive. So your dream was a lifeguard. But then after you started doing magic, did that become your dream? Not really. I knew that I could make good money. It was kind of ended up settling. I was very conservative. I grabbed for that low-hanging fruit and I said, there's a lot of low-hanging fruit. This could be quite profitable. And I, I lived a pretty nice lifestyle doing magic shows and also traveling the world. I performed in Germany, Shanghai, Japan four times. Um, performed over, uh, around the world for a lot of corporations. Wow. Okay. That sounds like just for that reason alone. And do you like to travel? I did. I still do a little bit, but not for work as much. Those were kind of hard because you would get on a plane, you'd fly out there with one or two days advance notice, but you'd be jet lagged and you, you're not even recovered and you start waking up, going to work and you don't want to go to work. It's not like, it sounds glamorous. You can show a lot of pictures of it, but in the end you're, you you have to prep a lot to get there. And once you get there, you have to work. So I didn't, I, I did do some of the tourism stuff, but I took my work pretty ser- seriously when I was traveling. So it was a lot of work. <laughs> wow. That's hard then. Did you have to carry a big suitcase, travel with a big suitcase? In the beginning I did, but later I was really known, well known for my close-up magic. I got my close-up magic to a world-class level. Wow. And what is that? It's smaller magic. Sometimes it uses, utilizes technology. It's cards, coins, rubber bands, stuff with ordinary objects, but stuff that's based on skill. And could you do a whole show with that? I would do more close-up. Sometimes I would do like a stage show that was a little bit more comedy magic. That was more? Comedy magic, like stage props or making people laugh from stage. I would still use cards, but I'd have routines that play a lot bigger. And then how long are your performances? Now between 30 minutes to an hour, I love to keep them right around 30 minutes, but sometimes uh, clients want me to do longer. So, and once we transitioned to Zoom, I did shows at uh, one day, I did a show at 1, 1 30, 2, 2.30, 3, 3.30, 4, 4.30. And I did four other shows that day. I did 12 shows in one day and I had clients from all around the world. What? Wow. And then what about your son? He would help me actually. He would do one to three routines in many of the, or one to four routines in a lot of the shows. And how old is he now? He is now 13 years old. 13. And does he like it now? Does he love magic? He loves his paycheck. We salary him at $500 a month. So he has no complaints. He's saving up for college and, and he doesn't have to learn a lot right now because we we're just thinking of the buying cycle. Everyone's going to see you in one or two years and then you're going to have to change up your tricks probably then. And even if he just did the tricks he's doing now, he could he could do pretty well. Wow, that is a heck of a nice allowance for 13 or I should say earning paycheck. He worked he worked hard for it. Some months he's re- really working hard, but we it kind of evens out and he also becomes a lot more confident as a public speaker. Right. That's true. Wow. That's cool. Does he do tricks that you don't do? No, I have trained him everything that he knows. So there's uh, everything that he does, I know how to do. I, I just think it'd be cool when he surpasses you. Yeah, I think he's a better speaker than I am. That's for sure. Well, that's great at that age. You can only go up, you know. What I want to know is if magic wasn't your dream or your passion, what dream and passion do you have now that you're working on? 
Oh, it was definitely a passion, but it wasn't like my dream job. It, it definitely is a passion. I love figuring things out. But once you figure it out, performing gets kind of boring when you're on stage if you're doing the same thing over and over again. I like new things. So passion, I just love sleeping right now because I've done so much. I've really been very hardworking for the last 20 years, just grinding it through. Uh, and I think I just need a little bit more like a Sabbath to ski and bum around and take my wife to Japan, not work related. With COVID, I'm not sure if we can, we can do it. She's been talking about Japan a lot. I, I was thinking about maybe Yellowstone. Our kids are old enough that we don't have to pick them up. And bringing them to like a national park is something that would be perfect right around this age, you know, because we still have, I, I figure we have until the, they're 18 before they move out and, you know, completely say no mom, no dad. Yeah. And I feel like when, uh, when I went overseas, I was nine and my sister was 16 and it was definitely more of a big deal for her. Where did you guys go? France. Okay. Oh, I've never been to France. And I, that is one thing that I want. That is one place I want to go. Yeah, it's it's beautiful. Well, my sister was studying French, so that's why. So she was studying French. She ended up get becoming a linguistics major. I mean, getting her degree in linguistics. She speaks five languages now, and she ended up living in France for twenty five years. So it was a good it was a good family choice for a trip. I mean, good trip choice. And we just traveled. We did a castle tour, so it was, <laughs> it was real, and a lot of eating. Yeah. And it really, ch it changed my life. It dramatically changed my life. So I think that, that especially, yeah, I think going overseas as a, as a kid is really important. I have friends who went to Japan at, at younger ages and like 14 and really changed their lives. I love seeing how other cultures are because in, when you think America, you always think, oh, this is the greatest culture ever. And then you, when you go out, you realize that there's something that you can learn from everyone, whether it's the respect you see in Japan or in China when you see people people greet you at the door and they literally bow when they bow it's like how can you be be disrespectful when they are literally serving you and, and showing you that attitude of reverence as you come through and i think that is uh, something that is admirable in uh, cultures you can see the good and the bad but you always want to learn from the best in terms of what you can can improve yeah. Oh, I agree. And I, I love China. I spent six weeks in China and it was, it was one of my favorite places, really. Master Lu Yi took me to China with him for the Wuhan Acrobatic Festival with me and my wife and this gal named Catherine. And we went to, I think we went to Shanghai and Beijing. We went on a multi-city tour with him. Wow. Okay. That's really cool. Yeah. You must be in the inner, inner circle then. It took some uh, talking to him to get into that level. Uh, it was that was one of my mem most memorable, you know, moments with Master Louis outside of the circus center because there's not a lot of times you get to spend with them outside. But that was that was fun. Yeah, I bet. Wow, that is so cool. Yeah, well, Xiao Hong is still teaching online on Zoom. If you want to jump in, I'm just saying. <laughs> Uh, maybe I, I learned to say no to certain things for now because I realized that you only have so much time and you can't do everything. And every time I, I do stuff, I end up really sore. I try to get into it. And the last couple of times I go in and then I relapse and I'm like the body's not taking it with what just getting back into it. And it's just too hard a commitment. Yeah, 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 yeah. You have to start slow and you have to do it regularly. 
Yeah, for sure. Now, how did your family, like what responses from your family when you decided to become a magician? I mean, I don't know that I've ever met like a professional magician. Yeah, they kind of didn't care for it, but they didn't see me asking for money and they they thought it was just a phase. But I was just showing them, hey, I'm doing pretty good. I'm I'm not, I'm not rich, but I'm not, I'm not um, asking you for money. So they're, they're like, oh, you're doing fine. You're happy. Go, go do your, go do your thing. And what is, how does your wife feel about it? My wife is a balloon artist and she's helping me and assisting me. So I'm going to throw in the chat bar what she does. Uh, if you go to danchanmagic.com, click on balloons, you will be able to see her wonderful balloon art. And we're talking about balloons that might take one hour to make for one balloon, or they might take up to two days to make. Wow. So if you click there, you'll see life-size princesses, a motorcycle that you can sit on that has no extra framing, a 4th of July parade float. And, and she is very, very precise and accurate. We're not talking about the stuff you get at street festivals. Right. Oh, no, I'm looking. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. Wow. That's pretty elaborate. I'll put a I'll put a link in the show notes so people can see it. Wow. That's cool. And where did she learn how to do that? I taught her, but she got better than me very quickly because she's a true artist. I was just like, magician, juggler, balloon artist, pickpocket. And I learned a lot of stuff. But my wife was like, I'm going to focus. I'm just going to do this. And I told her you should do magic because it pays better. And she's like, I don't enjoy it. And you're doing magic already. And then she also got caught one time. Like, I think with magicians, you have to be really tough. One time some spectator caught her out knowing how the trick work. And she was kind of forever scarred, which made her like, I have nothing else to do. Let me do this a little bit better because we ended up with a business model where it fed into each other. One year they would hire me. One year they'd hire her. And maybe some years they would hire us both. But when you're advertising for entertainment for kids and families, they just go together and the advertising cost and the sharing business cards. We had these cool business cards that one half would be her and one half would be me. Oh, cool. And then it looked like a playing card. So it was like Dan and Kat. And then we had the ace of hearts and the ace of clubs on the opposite side. And it was just this really creative. And how did you guys meet? I met her at a nightclub, Shanghai 19, uh, 1930 in San Francisco. And it was just a restaurant nightclub. And I just had her sign her name and phone number across the face of the card. She fell for it. And the rest is history. (laughs) That's awesome. So you're performing. No, I wasn't performing. I was just uh, doing, I was doing an off time. I was just hanging out with my brother and she asked me, what do you do for a living? I'm a magician. No, what do you really do for a living? No, I'm a magician. No, seriously, what do you do for a living? And then I just held back. I didn't say anything. Then she said, show me a card trick. And I showed her a card trick and I blew her away. Aw, that's funny. Well, yeah, usually, I mean, if somebody says I'm a magician, you're not going to be like, oh, that's your, that's what you do for a living. Yeah, it's, I, I, I have never met a professional magician. I'm sure you have. I have met many. I know I've, I've seen all the best magicians in the world in Las Vegas. I probably... I've gone to conferences where there's like 1,200 or 1,600 magicians and probably three or 400 of them are at least full-time, if not more. Wow. And do you, you said you use comedy. Do you use the clowning that you learned at Circus Center in, in an act? I used to. I used to do a lot of different types of comedy. Uh, I, I play the straight man now and I do have some really good one-liners, but I want the focus to be on just hard hint, 
hitting mentalism and magic. And I made that a, a character choice because I can pull that off now being older. Yeah. <laughs> you still look really young. <laughs> I was like, wow, you're really young. <laughs> but when you're my age, everybody's young. I'm 43. So I'm about where you're at. I think you're Okay. No, I'm 10 years older. I'm 54. Yeah, you don't look 43. You look like 23. So what <laughs> what, what responses do you get from other people? Like, you know, not family, but friends or people that you meet when they find out what you do? Once I, it, once I show them some of the links that I've been on, like CNBC and Business Insider and Wall Street Journal, they think I'm a celebrity. But until then, they're like, eh, whatever. Or you show them your website, then it adds a lot more credibility because the, my website's done really well. So it just depends on whether I want to kind of slow boat it and attack it from a different angle and surprise them. Or if I just want to say, hey, boom. Right. Yeah, that's funny. And so what makes you different and stand out? Well, I do a lot of close up, but I do a lot of mentalism, mind reading and pickpocketing, which are higher skill sets to do on a high level. Oh, There are people who can do mentalism, but if you don't have this cohesive character, it doesn't work out as well. What is mentalism? It's a uh, mind reading. Oh, I see. Interesting. Mentalism. What was the other thing that you said? Pickpocketing. Pickpocketing. So that sounds like really fun to me. I write bad characters in novels and not that I would like want to be a professional pickpocketer or anything like that, but I love the idea of like pickpocketing and then lock picking. For some reason, I'm like obsessed with lock. Well, I had a character who was who picked locks. So I became obsessed with lock picking and had to teach myself how to do it. But it, so pickpocketing is a huge skill, right? Yes. And you're doing it to then show the people this is what, like, they're just oblivious. Yeah. Look at the video here of my son's picking pockets in that video, but I'm also doing, I do have a lot of pickpocketing videos of me stealing stuff just again and again and again. I, I don't know if I'm going to go back to that after COVID because it's just touching people. It's, it's kind of taboo. It's kind of like there's no real threat, I think, now to get on an airplane, but we're still having to take off our shoes and doing all that stuff. I think it's just ingrained and the fear factor is so much bigger than the real perceived threat. And that, that's a, at least that's my opinion or that's my perspective. Oh, I was just going to say once we get vaccine vaccinated. Uh, yeah, I think once we get vaccinated, I think that there might be other strains. Yeah. And strains mutate as well. So I'm not, I'm not sure if that is an end. No, well, we'll see. I hope that we, we, we all get vaccinated and everything happens the way it's supposed to, but I'm still holding my breath. Yeah. <laughs> Is that another magic trick that you do? Holding your breath? No, I, I've entertained the thought briefly of doing like a milk can escape or some other sorts of escapes, but I decided not to. Yeah. What's that guy, David Blaine? Is that it? Yeah. I've met him several times and he is a wonderful performer and he, he actually knows what he's doing and he's, he knows he's a true visionary. Definitely a true visionary. Yeah. He's doing some stuff that like people just die if they try it. So what else would you tell people and anything else you want to talk about? If you want to see what my experience is like, check out Airbnb experiences and search for Dan Chan or magician. You'll see my experience. I think you'll find it quite different. I'm changing my show almost every year or every two years with some new new bits. So I think your audience members would love to see my new, uh, old show before I retire it. How do you come up with new bits? I look at other art forms and I think about what would take it to the next level or what would fit my character. So sometimes it's just a flash of inspiration on old techniques reinvented. 
Hmm. It's like it like it everything you're talking about reminds me of like an artist who, you know, my my mom's an artist, so she 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 does mostly abstract, but she started out with a, you know, this medium or oils and now she does encaustics or you know, she has like different series that are like specific, like she has this whole a whole Asian series and then she moves on to like, you know, an ancestral series or whatever and it just sounds similar to what you're talking about. It's like, as an artist, you're growing and changing and like, you know, you're not doing this anymore. This other thing, is that how you would define it? Yeah. I would define it in different ways or different trends, but I always try to look at trends that people are using and then not, not go toward what everyone's doing. Cause if everyone's doing it, you end up becoming a commodity. Then everything is based on price. But once they know that I'm doing something different, people will come t- toward me versus doing the standard stuff. Well, and if you also, if you do the standard stuff, then what sets you apart from everybody else? Exactly. And are there a lot of people doing magic with their children? No, that is one of my secret weapons because when you're doing a family event for kids from seven to 13, you'd rather have a kid and an adult perform than just an adult who's like this. I mean, a lot of magicians are a lot older. Uh, the ones that are good are a lot older, but there's very few magicians who are 13 who can do the skill set that we described, which was juggle five balls, do world-class magic and perform with their dad. And they know that he's good because you've seen two television appearances, plus many other videos that we've kind of flooded social media uh, with. And if you want to follow my son on Instagram, he's at kidmagician.com. Oh, cool. Does your son see himself like doing this for his future or he's not even thinking that far ahead? he's thinking of it. We've told him, I kind of want him to do it, but at the same time, I kind of want him to try some other occupations beforehand because you don't realize how easy and hard it is at the same time, because easy as in you've been doing it for so long, but I don't want you to get content because once you do this, if you go back to anything else, you're going to start at square one and then you have to build your business back up versus you try something and you might be able to take something from that aspect and work a lot harder because if he's just coasting, the thing is he could be earning a lot, but the industry may change really quick. So I want him to learn a little bit more of a hustle because right now he is definitely a coached act. So the vision is with me coaching him to get somewhere. But at that one point in time, he has to take the reins himself and keep that vision going beyond so that he actually is successful in it and he can keep it sustainable because with all businesses, we have business cycles and there's always, there's often a plateau. So you, you don't want to have him plateau when he's 17 or 18 and then be like, this is good money. But if he doesn't change that, that, that income stream can come back down. So that is a danger that you have to look ahead, ahead for. And that is why I think that he needs kind of like that drive, go get them because you actually have to hustle. You have to have this hustle attitude when you're starting off at magic, unless you're a true artist who can sell things out. There's some people who are, you know, Shin Lim or Jackie Yu or some other top name magician who can create this art that's world-class. And at that point, people flock to you. For me, I'm great at pitching media. I can get in the Wall Street Journal, Business Insider, but as an artist, I'm not an artist. I'm a very high skilled craftsman, but I can deliver a result that is absolutely 
best of class. And what is the definition of world, like a world-class magician? Either you travel the world doing it, or maybe you've won competitions that are world-class competitions. I, I myself, I have performed for all the companies that you see here, which are from A to Z. This is just a very small portion of my client list, but you can see it has Intel, HP, Google. Google's hired me 30 plus times. Golden State Warriors, eBay's, Deloitte, Cloudflare. So it's literally a who's who of the industry. Oh, wow. And that those are global world-class companies. And I've performed for billionaires in Sun Valley, Idaho, for the Sun Valley Conference for Allen & Company. I've performed for billionaires in Germany uh, or one billionaire in Germany. So it's just interesting um, that the cycle that you go through and when you feel like you're world-class, but you all have all this market validation, BuzzFeed covering me and doing a full profile article on myself. Also, I've been, uh, you know, performing with this Airbnb experiences. Wow. So that's cool. That's really cool. Yeah. It's been a cool journey and I'm uh, continuing to write the story and I feel like there's a lot in store. So hopefully we can uh, touch base maybe in five or 10 years and revisit where, where we both have gone. Yeah, totally. Well, where do you see yourself going? I'm going to leave things open. I, I think certain things will require a lot more commitment. Like if I want to do unscripted reality, or if I want to just do a longer documentary, we've done one documentary that really has taken off. And what, what is the documentary? It's on our pivot to Zoom. I'm, I'm not going to share the documentary yet. I'm just going to share the trailer, which is on my social media. Uh, I'm thinking of putting it in some film festivals. Oh, cool. Okay. That sounds great. Is the documentary your journey like to becoming a magician or is it? My pivot to Zoom or my pivot to virtual shows. Did you pitch this to Netflix? I've performed for Netflix like probably seven or eight times. I'm not pitching them because they don't accept anything unsolicited. And that's what I'm trying to do is get these shorter things, let them see this is what's possible. And then maybe getting them to bring in a film crew to do it. And this documentary, that trailer that you see, it's beautiful. And I got it done on budget. It was like $550 plus a hundred dollar tip. And when you look at that documentary, it, it is pretty amazing. The first one is a summer camp documentary that someone did for my son. Cool. Wow. And so if you could go back in time and give your uh, younger self a little piece of advice now, what would it be? Don't grab low hanging fruit too long. Learn to say no to certain clients that don't appreciate you because they want to take advantage of you and it's just sucks too much out. Instead, focus on moving that price point up to a higher price point and also get used to slowing down and ask yourself what works on television because television is the next wave. If I started focusing that on that earlier, this documentary and many other pieces would have gone out. Not necessarily TikTok but just being good on television and thinking in terms, would this be good on television if just given the op one opportunity? There's this phrase that working magicians would always say, pack small, plays big, but that would all often be mediocre and watered down. You know, the first five years, sure, pack small, plays big, makes a big difference. But then there are certain seasons, maybe in January or March, January through March, I could have just focused on creating a new show or really hunkering down on one aspect of it. So that way, everything that I would have done for television would have been a lot better. So can you tell people where, where they can find you? And then I'll also put that in the show notes. But what is your Instagram? Dan Chan Magic on Instagram. Okay. And then where else are you? 
danchanmagic.com. And if you just Google my name, Dan Chan Magic Man or Dan Chan Master Magician, you'll find lots of content. And where in Germany did you go? I did this boat cruise on the Rhine River. Uh, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, they had this rented out boat. And I still have pictures on my Facebook fan page of this uh, Germany trip. And the company's name was Bomag. They flew me out there. They flew me out to Shanghai. They got me into Vegas and they got me into a lot of other places. So it was quite interesting. Wow. That's cool. Well, you're living the dream, even though, even though you might not feel like it all the time you are. I am blessed. You are. And now you're going to go skiing. Yeah, we're going to go skiing. December was really tough for us. We did 12 show days. One week we did 52 shows in one week. So, and we were just grinding it. So we just need some R&R. Yeah, you should take like three months off at least. Uh, maybe, maybe. Yeah. Wow. 50 shows, 52 shows in one week? Yes, we did. That, like, how is that even possible? I have a good wife and I have a great son or a great wife and a good son. Great wife and a good son. Yeah. Or they're both great. I just don't want to use the same word. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like... When you're marketing something, you always try to use different words. I, I noticed that certain things, when I run things through Grammarly, it says that you use this word too often. Yep. I do that as a writer, but you could say fantastic wife and a great son. Yes. I'm going to give you that one. So, <laughs> All right. so your Airbnb experience is something that people will book or are there certain times you can book a corporate event or I also have some dates where you can book just individual tickets. Okay. But there's set like specific set times. Yes, that's correct. All right. Well, I really enjoyed talking to you. Likewise, Kimberly. Thank Thanks again for having me. Thanks, Daniel. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, I'd love it if you'd subscribe. Leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts is also highly appreciated. You can find me and more information about AUA on anunknownadventure.com. I do try to leave extensive show notes here under the podcast, but also on my website. The notes include links to everything that's been talked about today. However, my main goal is to give back to the community, to you. So if you have any questions, please DM me on Instagram at an unknown adventure. And whether you do or don't, following me there would light up my entire week. So remember to keep dreaming big because your adventure awaits and I can't wait to hear about it. Uh, 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 uh.